As I had said at the beginning of Mass, that the word epiphany means revelation or manifestation. And what's being revealed today is the Messiah. And he's not being revealed to the Jews in the Magi who are presumably not Jews. Jesus is being revealed to the nations or to the non-Jews. Non-Jews are called Gentiles. And so that would be all of us, all of Christians and Muslims and everyone in the world who's not a Jew would be considered a Gentile. And this is very, very important because remember that Jesus comes into the world to redeem the world, but he, he, his entire public ministry is to the Jews. So he doesn't go out and preach to the Gentiles. His whole ministry is to the Jews. But we see here at his birth that he's also coming for the nations. All right. So let's back up a little. I'm going to give you a little bit of catechesis might be a reminder for many of you how they got to this place of Jews and Gentiles and God's relationship with Jews and Gentiles. And then I'll come back to the Magi and what comes. So in the beginning with Adam and Eve, God treats everyone equally. And that continues with the descendants of Adam and Eve. It continues even with uh, Noah on the ark and the world is flooded and everyone dies except for Noah and his family on the ark. And then Noah and their family begin to repopulate the world, etc., God is dealing with everyone equally. There's no kind of covenant or special relationship that God has with anyone. And then seeing that man is filled with sin and evil and all of that stuff, God decides, well, instead of trying to reach out to the whole world or all of humanity equally in the same way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take one group of people, and from this one group of people, I'm going to give them more instruction than everyone else, and I'm going to Uh, have higher expectations for this group of people. And if they will abide in those, that information and those covenant and and those expectations, then there will be greater blessing for this one group of people. But the point being that through this one group of people, I'm going to attempt to save everyone. So think of the Jews as, or Abraham and what God is going to do with Abraham through the covenant, is God deciding to create a core team. If you're ever on some sort of middle school or high school faith formation or religious education program, you're familiar with core teams. Or you can be at work, uh, I don't know, Hewlett-Packard or Boeing or whatever, and there might be this core team that management has put together. And this core team is going to figure out all kinds of stuff, and then once they figure it out, bring everyone else on board. Part of the idea is that the core team gains a greater competency and experience, but the other is that they have greater zeal or commitment to this thing. And then from them, there would be something like starting a fire. It would grow out from there, and more and more people would come on board through this core team. So there's kind of the concept of the covenant with this core team of people called the Jews. All right. So there, there, we're bringing us up to speed now with Jesus coming into the world. So now Jesus comes into the world and he's coming to his core team, the Jews. But here at his birth by the star and he's leading by the, spirit of the, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these three magi, which again is another word from another language that doesn't have a clear correlation into English, but it roughly means wise men or noblemen or kings, uh, important characters sort of thing, the gilded class. 
So through these three non-Jewish important people from other nations, Gentiles, God is going to begin to reveal again to the rest of the world that I'm coming for you now. And that the time of the covenant with this core team, this Jewish team, is coming to an end. It will come to an end by the end of Jesus' life. And he's going to create something much bigger and much better called the church. And the church is for everyone. It's not just for the descendants of Abraham in a bloodline. It's for everyone. And by the church, I mean the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The only church that Jesus Christ ever established. That church with the 12 apostles and their descendants in baptism and in faith, etc. But for the whole world, for the conversion of the whole world, for the freedom from sin and the ultimate salvation of the whole world, Jesus is coming and he's gunning for everyone. And today he manifests himself or reveals himself to the whole world from the crib, from the crib. Not just at his death and resurrection, but it already began 33 years ago in a cave. He was revealing himself to the world that I'm coming for everyone. Our world is in a mess right now. I saw a very brief video kind of on 2020 and it was just reminded me of, wow, what a dumpster fire 2020 was. With the virus and the the quarantining and the the loss of jobs and the economic upheaval and then the fear of the virus and then the the sickness and the death, etc. Add on top of that the the rioting in this country. Add on top of that the election, which every four years is a near-death experience for this country. And then in 2020, I broke my leg, etc. So 2020 is this year to remember, but not in a good way. the problem is, as we look through the window into 2021, uh, we hope it's better, but we don't really know if it will be. And it could even be worse. Things could even unravel even further. But here's this promise about the church. Just as when God had made a promise to Abraham, he said, Abraham, through you, I'm going to establish something incredible. I'm going to give you descendants more numerous than the stars in the heavens, which is another way of saying, I'm going to give you immortal life. Immortal life. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and your descendants with incredibly good things. But right now, for Abraham, it's not now. It's not yet. For the three magi, they've got to track back through the desert to get back to their homeland, presumably in what is today southern Iraq, hundreds of miles, uh, I don't know how many miles that is. In a straight line, it's probably 600, 700 miles, but they had to follow the Fertile Crescent, so probably talking 1,000, 1,200 miles on foot without any police and lots of Bedouin and bandits wanting to rob you and attack. To go back to whatever world they came from, which didn't have televisions and running water and electricity and those kinds of things. And that world had its own political problems and all kinds of stuff going on. But the promise is greater than just for our life today. The promise is for 
a new world that ultimately the whole world is converted to Jesus. And that will happen. We know from, I think it's in Romans, which is in the New Testament, the Bible, the Word of God, St. Paul says that before the second coming of Christ, there would be the full conversion of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and the Jews to Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, by the time Jesus comes at his second coming at the end of the world as we know it, everyone on the planet will be a Catholic Christian. Which is astounding to us. We think, oh no, that's impossible. Not with God. God created everything out of just his mind. God flooded the world and killed everyone and saved Noah and his family on this boat and brought two of every kind of animal magically onto the boat. God can do anything that's good. He's infinite in his power. And there will be this mass conversion of the world to the Catholic faith. Now, at the time of the second coming, there will be plenty of terrible Catholics, as there always are. No one does sin quite as well as a Catholic. So when Jesus comes, even though everyone's a Catholic, the world is still filled with horribly sinful Catholics. And there will be the final judgment. But we're moving in salvation history from the fall in the Garden of Eden back to the world becoming Eden. And this is where we're going. The world is heading toward Eden. At the second coming, then the scriptures say there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus will burn the world by fire, as the scriptures say. Then there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Earth will be united to heaven. Earth will become Eden without the serpent. A magical, incredible place. And we can begin to understand that, although we can't comprehend the delights of heaven, for Jesus says, no eye has seen or ear heard what awaits you in the kingdom of heaven. You can't fathom the joy you will have in the kingdom of heaven. But a perfect world, we can kind of see that one. We can imagine how beautiful nature can be. The animals, just this morning I was out on a walk, and that was actually the first time I've done my full circuit walk since I broke my leg. So you can all like applaud. But anyway, that's all right. But I was out on my little walk and there was a cat. And there was a cat and he didn't run for me. He was obviously kind of a tame one. He didn't want me to pet, pet him because he didn't know me. But he didn't run either. He was kind of checking me out and walking. And I just noticed within me, I just immediately felt better seeing this little domestic cute animal sort of thing. We know what beauty and goodness look like and feel like to some extent on earth. And so then we can extrapolate into Eden, into a place of absolute perfection, where no one ever hurts anyone again, where no one ever hurts an animal, where an animal never hurts another animal. A place where if it rains, it only does so when you're asleep at night. A place of perfect temperature, a place of of incredible sounds, of incredible beauty, incredible smells and delights, incredible love, incredible communion with God. We can kind of sort of put ourselves into that world. And that world began in a manger and was witnessed by three Gentiles. Because Jesus from the crib was saying, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for the whole world. In the end, 
I'm going to triumph over everything. And I'm going to restore Eden to this earth. I want to conclude with Louis Armstrong's song. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I just want to read it. I just want to read his little song, and it's not about the future. He's talking about kind of beautiful things here today. But knowing that in Jesus Christ, those beautiful things today get amplified and recognized outside of Christ. We just hear bad news and see bad news. That's all the news media does anyway, is give us bad news, never good news. Uh, And then, you know, then we've all got our problems in our families and in our lives and our health and all those other things too. However, in hearing this Louis Armstrong talk about kind of simple things, we again, like I've been trying to paint the picture, get this idea of how things should have been and how things will be again because of Jesus Christ and because he overcomes the world. What a wonderful world by Louis Armstrong. I see trees of green, red roses too, I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow so pretty in the sky are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry, I watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Amen.